When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry, but before we go on with today's episode, let me tell you about a great sponsor of the 3 Yards Per Carry podcast, and that is AutoNation. If you're looking to buy or sell a vehicle, AutoNation is where you want to go. They're the largest auto retailer from coast to coast, and the friendly and knowledgeable staff here in South Florida will help you save big on huge selection of new cars, trucks, and SUVs, Toyota, Honda, Chevrolet, Mercedes-Benz, and much, much more. If you're looking to buy pre-owned, shop AutoNation's huge selection of one-priced pre-owned vehicles. They're all clearly marked with one price, their lowest price, guaranteed. Or if you just want to get rid of that old car, turn it in for cash today. Get a top dollar offer and check the same day. They'll buy your car with no purchase necessary. Is your check engine light on? Right now, get their services you need at low AutoNation prices. Oil changes, tires, batteries, and more. All for less. Call or visit AutoNation.com to schedule your appointment today. If you are in the market for a new car, DM us at 3 yards per carry. That's at the number 3 yards per carry on Twitter. And I'll give you an AutoNation senior manager your info so they can reach out to you directly and walk you through the buying process. Now, on with the show. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. Welcome to 3 Yards Per Carry. It's the second of our training camp shows. I'm Simon Clancy. Alfredo Artiago is here. He has been at training camp every day and will give you the inside scoop on what's been going on. Chris Gorthman is also here. Um... And we were going to start talking about the offense. We were going to go to defense and talk a bit about the coaches and stuff. And I'm kind of leading the way because obviously Alf, as I said, has been there the whole way. But in the last few hours, or three hours or so, we have had a firing, a very unusual situation for any team across the league, even the Dolphins. This is one of the earliest firings I can remember us having. I mean, even earlier than our coach snorting offensive lineman, uh, offensive line coach from a couple of years ago. Um, Pat Flaherty is out. He is fired. Um, and Dave DeGrigliamo, who was in as an, an analyst and a sort of offensive line assistant, is now the new official offensive line coach. Boys, did we see this coming? Did we? I mean, this is this is a shocker even for the Dolphins. Well, I didn't see it coming at all because on Sunday they made all the offensive assistants available. And I was standing next to Eric Studsville and he was talking about the whole group and how he liked this group and – he kind of made some news and then kind of walked it back by saying that uh, he didn't want to pigeonhole Kenyon Drake as a third down back, but he's kind of been pigeonholed as a third down back so far in camp. 
but he was backing him up. And then they made, well, the now, well, I don't want to say deceased, but deposed <laughs> at, at Flaherty. He's and, definitely not dead if you're a member of the Flaherty family and haven't heard from him. So he's yeah, definitely hasn't died. But we don't want to give that. spoke at length with the media. And I guess that was his last, the last thing he did as a Dolphins coach. And this morning, well, he's gone. I mean, he, was quite, can... he was quite ca- candid, wasn't he, though? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, Chris, we can, we can kind of joke about this, but, you know, Flaherty and, you know, a, a, a number of us weren't necessarily sold on his latter, mm. you know, the 2017 Jags, that run offense was, was the best in the NFL. But, you know, it, it's a distance from the Chris Snee, Sean O'Hara, Giants offensive lines that he mm. was, you know, um, behind when they were on their Super Bowl tear. But... This is what. What does this say about Brian Flores? What does this say about uh, about the direction that the team's going in? What sort of message is this sending to everybody, both players and coaches? I'm going to sound like the biggest homer because I'm going to spin it positively. But um, you know, and I don't think I, I don't think that's my habit, so I'm I don't feel too bad about it. But um, I do. I, I, it's a message of accountability, and and I think that uh, any. Any players that thought that they were safe because of their position uh, on the depth chart or contract or whatever, um, you know, Pat Flaherty had a guaranteed contract. They're going to be paying him for the rest of his his contract. He'll be comfortable financially. Uh, It's just any image that they might have had of safety or or of, you know, an unfairness of a lack of accountability among coaches versus players has just been completely shattered. Uh, you're either getting the job done or you're not. They just had, and, and Alf will talk about it later, uh, Alf will talk about how bad the practice was on Sunday. Um, they had just had you know, one of the worst practice that they've had, and out goes a coach, you know, even a, even a very high-profile one. Uh, and, and so if you're either getting the job done or you're not, and I think that a lot of people will say, okay, you, you got to hire the right coach. This is, this is a mark against Brian Flores. And – I agree to some extent that's true. Hire the right guy. That's probably should have been Dave DeGuglielmo from the start. But at the same time, I tend to not ding guys so much for, you know, shooting their shot, um, even if they miss, as I do for making mistakes work by, or worse by sticking by them, you know, continually and denying that they're problems. And, uh, and I actually take a little bit of optimism from this because this is what the Patriots, in my opinion, in my estimation, one of the things the Patriots actually have done well over the years is they will end an experiment early if they're just not seeing great signs from it. And, and this goes on the coaching staff. I believe they just had a, a truncated coaching tenure of their own on the defensive side um, this offseason. Uh, or, you know, did, did they dismiss Brett Bielema? There was the... There was a snag, a snag with um with the what's his name too the uh the old Rutgers coach, um, yeah um Shiano yeah yeah Shiano uh, Shiano right he yeah. he joined the staff yeah. and then they're just like no this is he left yeah. yeah yeah and and he got and he got the the ominous designation of mutually parted ways yeah exactly so I, I think that this is this is something that that you take from the Patriots you see the you see the early signs that this isn't going to work they're not going to push it they're just going to say all right it's not working bye. And I hope they do that with players, and I hope they do that with coaches. Um, so, Alf, this, Alf, this this would be 
all well and Chris makes a very salient point and this would all be well and good if we were the Patriots but unfortunately dysfunction has followed the Dolphins around for years this does look like and I know it's a different culture and I know it's a different coaching staff and whatever but this does look like more Dolphins dysfunction across the league doesn't it I mean if you are a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Seahawks or whoever you're looking at this and thinking this is a dysfunctional team. This just happens over and over and over again. It feels like we can't get our ducks in a row. That's the other way of spinning it, isn't it? Yeah, and it's the, optic, it's the optics of it. Uh, you just finished having a practice where, this, especially the second team offensive line, although the first team offensive line didn't look much better. But the second team offensive line did not look like they should be drawing paychecks in the NFL. They couldn't gain an inch against the second team defense. And when I mean an inch, I'm talking about they must, they must have given up maybe negative 30 yards rushing in about 11 plays that they ran, 11 on 11. So it was just sheer incompetence for an hour and 45 minutes straight on Sunday. And you could tell that Brian Flores was, wasn't having much of it. He, he, sent the, he sent the defense twice to the TNT wall because Vincent Taylor didn't listen to the, the substitution pattern and didn't come in on – on defense, and they actually lined up with 10 guys one time. Imagine that, the fourth practice of the year, and you're lining up with 10 guys in a practice. Okay, so he sends the defense twice to the TNT wall. Then the offense gets sent to the TNT wall, and I don't know why that was, but they should have just stayed there for the rest of the practice. So, is it hard, Do you think it's harsh, though, on Flaherty, and this is the other way to spin it, I suppose, in that, and we've discussed this before, this is such a bad unit. It's mm. such a bad unit that yeah. it's very, you know, you're being handed a chicken shit and being told to make mm. chicken salad essentially I, it's it's very you know Dante Scarnecchia probably the best offensive line coach in the NFL would probably have a hard time making a, a competent offensive line out of this group I think that's fair to say so is Flaherty guilty of the fact that he's just been handed terrible tools I've, I've heard the best line on that and that was every time Flaherty had to run to the to the takes no talent wall Chris Greer should have been forced to run to the take some talent wall <laughs> and that's uh and that's what i think I, I think you're right there like he was handed he was handed some real chicken shit i think um as far as the some of the talent on this offensive line is concerned i i i think that there's very little depth i do think that you can cobble together a starting five out of this unit um but it, it's it's not going to be a great starting five obviously you've got laramie tunsil i'm not sure who else you've got in there, uh, especially right now with some of the guys being a little bit on the younger side or being in line for position switches and the like. Um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely that element to it. But also – It's big trouble if somebody goes down as well, isn't it? I mean, big trouble. Oh, and absolutely. If Tun- and if Tunsil gets hurt, then, mm-hmm. I yeah. mean – Absolutely, you've got you've got a virtual AAF line if you um yeah. if you if you don't uh, have Laramie Tunsil in there and I mean you well let me let me put it to you because um because you you actually uh, sort of had some some inside um, yeah although I've angles on this like is, is this is this about the talent is this about the failures in in, in from a talent standpoint. Or is this about something else? Like, is was, this about something else? And I think I was told it was definitely on-field related. So there's nothing off-field. There's no illness like Jim Caldwell. Mm-hmm. There's no drugs like um, uh, what's his name, Jim Turner. This is purely on the field, and I, I'm told it was down to. Oh, that's Chris things. Furster. Don't give yeah, Jim yeah. Turner that. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Don't make him a drug addict. Yeah, Jim Turner was the guy with the blow-up dolls. You know. Yeah, yes. that's right. Of course. Your scandal's right. So. <laughs> 
have we how could we this have team. offensive line coaches dropping for this a team. harassment and then b like doing lines of cocaine off his work desk oh and, th- and then see like at least this is performance that's what i said earlier on twitter yeah <laughs> so i was told it was down purely to on-field issues it was down to a continued inability to communicate the offensive system the offensive install that chad o'shea wanted and mm. a general lack of communication with the players and that's literally all i've been told no rumors mm. that it was about your man chris reed <laughs> um, <laughs> which obviously if you don't know the connection between Flaherty and Reed, both Jaguars um, but yes it was a lack of, of uh, just an inability to get the line up to speed in terms of where they should be physically but also where they should be mentally and I think some of that does reflect on the talent uh, but that's really all I was able to garner in you know a very brief uh, text conversation uh, to me, that to me that doesn't reflect the talent so much as they didn't know what they were supposed to do. Be doing exactly, yeah, exactly. And I think to a greater or lesser degree, that's probably where the rubber meets the road on on this front. So, mm-hmm. so for, for people tuning in, then what can we expect from Dave DeGuigliamo? Because he's not going to turn, you know, Michael Dieter is not going to become um, Quentin Nelson overnight. Um, you know, <laughs> Daniel Kilgore is not going to become Jason Kelsey. What what's what are we looking for? Where can we find? I mean, Alf, you've been you've been at every single training camp session. What small jumps? What small wins can we make? I mean, you were talking about Jared Jones Smith yesterday, for example, mm-hmm. He's having a you know a fairly decent um, performance. What what can we look for? Who can we see potentially emerging? Is there a Will Holden? Is there an Isaiah Prince? Is there a stare up? Somebody that's just going to put their head above the parapet and say, you know what, I, I, I'm one of those five. Yeah, it's just bits and pieces so far. Uh, Larry Mutunsel looks like Larry Mutunsel, although he had his his bad moments on Saturday. But, you know, he's still Larry Mutunsel. He's still one of the best, at least 10 left tackles in the NFL, if not a top five left tackle in the NFL. And then you really just, you know, you're dancing around the edges with the rest of the team. Chris Reed, I was, I was excited to see him in practice, especially with the pads on. And I said so in my, in my notes that you could get on fivereasonsports.com. And then they started hitting and Chris Reed was nowhere to be found. And he really wasn't noticeable at all. And if you've noticed my notes, uh, Keem Spence and Devon Godshaw and Vincent Taylor have had big moments which means that our guards are not having good moments. Daniel Kilgore had a good Saturday, and, you know, he looks like an NFL center. Like, he could play in this league. Jesse Davis looks good in uniform. But other than that, you're really, like, Shaq Calhoun looks like a good athlete, but, you know, we haven't seen much of him yet. Mm. I guess if you're going to hold on to something, it's that Michael Dieter looks different than what I remembered him at Wisconsin. Uh, he's a little bit sleeker. Maybe he got on onto some type of weight training program that slimmed him down a little bit. Uh, he told the media that he was down to 302 pounds. Well, which is actually great for him. Yeah, mm. which is good. And he looked good. Uh, I thought he looked really good. He looks good. You know, he looks like a good – he looks like an NFL athlete, like a real athlete at guard. The guy who's kind of interesting is Jared Jones-Smith. First of all, he's giant. He's a big man. And big arms. The wingspan on him is the biggest I've ever seen. Yeah, and he's worked at left tackle and right tackle on the second team. And I think that he's had his best moments at right tackle, especially Mm -hmm. in pass protection. 
Although, what does that say about our pass rush? So, <laughs> so there's a lot to nitpick. Can they cobble up? Like, like Chris said, can you cobble up a starting five here? Can you grab a starting five? I think you can. It's just not going to be a very good one. Let's now, get about, into your... Go well, on, sorry, I, I, one, one quick note about Dagoon Lielmo himself, because I think that's you know, what you were asking about. Uh, and I think the, the listeners deserve should know a little bit about his history anyway. Dave DeGuglielmo, uh, you'll recall him after his stint with the Giants where he was working with um, the now-fired Pat Flaherty. Uh, he came on with the Dolphins under Tony Sperano and coached our offensive line for a, number, for a couple of years. And those are some of the best lines that we've had here in Miami um, in the last couple of decades, really. Uh, if, if you look at what he did here. So that deserves to be said. Uh, he does have a resume. When he came out, he went to the Jets for a year, and they had a very good line. They had a, a big bump up the rankings in both, in both pass protection and run block in the year that he, uh, that he was there. Uh, he went to New England and became the heir to Dante Scarnecchia, and that was where he got really kind of a black mark against his record because they, um, they went through some offensive line turmoil. Both the years that he was there, they had more rookie starts uh, along the offensive lines than any two years in the last two decades, really, any two-year stretch in the last two decades. So he got a lot of those young players that are even now playing right now, uh, like Shaq Mason and uh, David Andrews. He, he was the one that had to deal with them as rookies and get them ready. But at the same time, their tackles – uh, didn't do so well and they did have some established tackles at that time there was speculation about his coaching style and whether he you know his his narrower pass sets were were bad news for super tall guys like they had in New England at that time either way he was fired he was was fired by the coaching staff at the end of a, a two-year stint there uh, or by Bill Belichick at the end of a two-year stint and Dante Skarnecchia came out of retirement and came back, and, and of course, now the offensive line in New England is awesome again. So that was kind of the black mark for, uh, for Dave DiGuglielmo, but he resurfaced in Indianapolis, uh, where last year their line made a dramatic turnaround. Uh, and I mean, they were probably one of the worst offensive lines in the league the previous year, and then all of a sudden last year they were clearly one of the best. And you know, yes, there there's some personnel involved. They drafted Quentin Nelson, and he has been dynamic for them. Um, but there were some other rookies. I think Braden uh, Braden Smith is is there. I think he was a rookie last year. I, there was there's not necessarily a great group around Quentin Nelson. It's not somebody full of a bunch of uh, all pros. So, um, so he did a good job there last year. I thought he should have been hired here. Now, one thing to watch out for is he did have a little bit of controversy in Indianapolis. There was a player that ended up asking for his own release because he claimed that, you know, he couldn't get along with Dave DiGuglielmo after his brother, the player's brother was murdered and he had to take some time off. And then he had to go through some issues personally. And he claims that DiGuglielmo was really insensitive about that, all that. And, um, and so there was some, there was some, he said, he said on that one. He is but, old uh, school, isn't he? I mean, that, that's I, he seems a it. word. He's, but I know, I also know people that have worked with him and um, they, they, they do not corroborate at all what that player was accusing as far as that. They, they say he's the nicest, he, you know, he's the greatest guy. He's the best to work with. 
He's he's a really awesome guy. It's just weird that he has all these very short stints everywhere. And if that's you, you look at his resume, that's what you see. And that's what stands out to you. It's always like he's here for a year. He's here for two years. He's here for another year. And, and it's just he can't catch on anywhere. I'm kind of hoping that he does here. Um, but that's, that's who he, that's what he's been in the past. And that's what you're looking at here. The one thing to warn, and I pointed out today is 2017 when he was here and he took over for our uh, previous line coach and emphasis on lines. Um, you know, he, he actually is the guy that moved Jesse Davis to right tackle for two games. Uh, and then he, they had to abandon that because German Bushrod got hurt for the rest of the year. And so they had to reshuffle the offensive line yet again, and so just that's when Jesse Davis moved to right guard and became the the starter at right guard, really. Um, but he was playing right tackle for two games. That was where uh, Dave DeGuglielmo planted him. And it's worth noting because it's something that they experimented with toward the end of OTA's mini camps. Um, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, Flaherty's been fired after a week of putting him back at right guard and having Jordan Mills, who I don't, I don't rate as very talented at right tackle. So it's something to watch out for, but I'll stop. There. Let's talk about the rest of the offense. And, and Alf, let's kind of focus in on what you've been seeing. Uh, let's take it group by group, really. So quarterbacks, let's go from the bottom up. And, you know, there's a lot of bottom, uh, I think, with this group. Jake Rudock, <laughs> Jake Rudock what's, the, what's the good word? Is there a good word? Uh, I was I was talking to the Chris the other day in the in the WhatsApp chat. I don't know if you participated in that chat, but he looks to me like uh, one of the best 120 quarterbacks in the world. But then I, I think I did because I think I said that Jared Lorenzen was 117. <laughs> exactly. So and he's yeah. and he's dead. <laughs> and he's dead. Rest in peace. Rest but, in peace. Yeah, like to say that 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 Rudock and and by the way, I've heard the media pronounce his name Ruddock and Rudock and I don't know which way but I'm not only got one D so I'd hope it was Rudock but anyway is he better than David Fales ultimately Uh, Mm. I don't know give or take flip a coin really I think he I think think Fales is the better player if he's going to be a third if he's going to be a third string yeah yeah sure he looks the part as the third string NFL quarterback on a how's his arm look because it looks like it looks like a squirt gun on film sometimes uh, his arm looks uh, fine, and let me just say this: it looks better than Josh Rosen so far. So, really? yes, that's not fair. No way. <laughs> Alf hates Josh Rosen. By the way. <laughs> this, is, this is the first time you've ever listened. Uh, he, maybe if you got me defending Josh Rosen, well, yeah, Josh Rosen seems to have some type of issue as far as his warm-ups because his the the passes he's giving the, his balls. Okay, let me just put it that way. Yeah, his balls are dipping. For whatever where reason. are where are with that quarterback competition? Because I've seen rumors that you know Rosen's closing the gap a bit, that Fitzpatrick's arms looking a bit tired. Well, um, I'm, the one, I'm the one who's being the most generous, it seems, because Omar Kelly that's true. but ended already the the, the quarterback battle. Yeah, but come I on, declared, I declared the quarterback battle <laughs> as of today. Don't finish that thought. Okay, because uh, no, that's true. I, I noticed that you had it basically like. T- Two, two, right? Like yeah. you know, Fitz Fitzpatrick won two of the days, and Rosen won two of the others. Generally, yeah. I've only seen it more like three, one. Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel like it's three, one. Have we um? Has it got to a point? Let me tell you why where... it's three, one. Is I think it's three, one because I think it's clear. It was clear that Ryan Fitzpatrick was the best quarterback on the field the first two days in practice, 
And mm-hmm. I think the third day, I think Josh Rosen was clearly better. But that mm-hmm. fourth day, both were so bad that mm-hmm. nobody wanted to give either guy any credit. But I'll give it to Rosen on the fourth day because he did have that very nice pass on the wheel route to Kellen Balazs in the end zone for does, does it feel like there's a bigger picture at play here that some people have talked about Rosen has to win the job? Do you think, does it feel like the coaches are not handing it to him, but does it feel like he's getting extra treatment? Because ultimately, I suppose if he doesn't win the job, long-term future looks, you know, as certainly as the franchise quarterback looks potentially bleak for him. Well, Coach Flores says that there is no rush to name a starter, but so do you do? But do you get this from somebody that's there all the time? Do you get the sense that perhaps he's being handed an easier path? Do they? Do you feel like the coaches want him to get? Okay, fine, fine. Absolutely. Well, he's facing he's facing mostly the second stringers, right? Yes. So he's being made to earn it, and he's been given some tools. Like uh, I was asked today, has he worked with any of the first team guys? Well, you know, if your running back is Kenyon Drake and you get Devontae Parker oh, right. on your team and you get Jakeem Grant on your team. Yeah, you're getting some first-team guys. And you get mm-hmm. the third of Mike Kosecki. Yeah, you're, you are getting some first-team guys. But Just what about the offensive line? <laughs> That's an issue right there. Yeah. You know, he is not getting the first-team offensive line. Like, What's worse, the offensive line of the defense? Yeah, it, uh, are they getting pressure? The resistible because, force versus the movable object. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's that's a really really good question because it's really hard to to quantify who's actually better. But the offensive line has not looked good. Mm-hmm. But you can look at the defensive line and say that Tank Carradine like looks the part. You could see you could see what they want him for and how he can fulfill a role. So has Adolphus he's not starting, Washington. is he? Yeah. So has Adolphus Washington. Uh, Charles Harris has had a few moments. And like I said, uh, all the interior defensive linemen have looked very, very well so far. Mm. But, you know, okay. like yeah, we probably have to differentiate our our hate on the defensive line because yeah. some yeah. of the defensive interior players we're not we're not no. down at all. No. Like Christian yeah, Wilkins, we all love. Yeah, and Taylor. Gotcha, Taylor. Yeah, exactly. and we have we have great things to say about yeah. those guys. What it's about the, the running backs out? Yeah, the running backs out, and we'll get to Drake in a minute because the interesting conversation with the Kenyon Drake truthers on social media this week. But some of the kind of the, the, the backstop guys, I suppose, the Kenneth Farrows, the Miles Gaskins, the Patrick Lairds, the Mark Waltons, have they made any impact at all? Have you seen any kind of uh, of those guys? Who looks – because it feels like Drake is going to stick around, Balazs will obviously stick around. But it feels like one of those guys is probably going to get a roster spot. Who is anybody poking their head above the parapet? I would say Gaskins. I think Miles Gaskins has has had a, a a few better moments, but the rest of those guys, past the first two guys, the rest of them, they're they're just wallpaper. They're just there, mm-hmm. you know. They're there for the scenery. Nobody really stands out. And sometimes you you get to see like we've seen it before with Sonoris Perry, especially in past preseasons, where you look at Sonoris Perry and you say, "This is a guy that can get fifty carries this season." A lot of this is going to come down to special teams, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to come down to who can contribute on special teams, and this this coaching staff really, really cares about that. I, I think it's fair. I think it's fair to point out, though, and and this is you know from my own experience watching practices, like running backs and linebackers, that's tough in practice. Um, it, it's better in games. It's you know that's where you see real full speed action. Yeah, and um, and the the physicality where the where the physicality and the make you miss really meets at the the highest level, that's that's game stuff, and it's hard to judge. I, f- I find it sometimes hard to judge the linebacker. I mean, in blitz blitz and pass rush is one thing with linebackers, but linebackers otherwise, 
and running backs otherwise it can get really tough it looks like they're playing some eye formation that the the fullback is a, a fairly regular part of this offense is that Chandler Cox or has that been more Nick O'Leary it's been a combination of both, but also okay. some Christian Wilkins, believe it or not. Of course, yeah. Well, well he did a lot of Clemson, didn't he? he yeah, Clemson. Fullback and even tailback a couple and of times. Say hello, <laughs> and, say hello, and say hello to the H-back on the, in an offset position. Uh, Chandler Cox has been in on, well, I guess you could call him a second tight end, but he's really an H-back offset. So mm, okay. a lot of 21 personnel, a lot of 12 personnel. So... What about tight ends? a lot of that at Auburn. Suspected. Yeah, absolutely. Suspected from this coaching staff. Tight ends. What, where are we? Because I've seen a couple of people today say that Nick O'Leary has been the most impressive. Um, I, I've seen people say that... that well, all he um, does is catch touchdowns so far. Yeah. See that Gasicki has done okay. But, you know, kind of feels like you, you're waiting for Gasicki to, to really break through. Is that kind of what you're expecting? What, what you're sensing because obviously Chad O'Shea has got great history with tight ends worked obviously with Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez and you know a number of good players in New England at that position so again are we sort of scrabbling I know it's early are we scrabbling around waiting for someone to make a statement well Gasecki's doing that thing he's doing again which he did last year which is look spectacularly well he's he looks the part. He's big, strong. He catches absolutely everything, although he had his first drop that I can remember in, in camp or in practice. And, yeah, the, you look at him and you're like, okay, this guy's going to be great for us. But we already saw a season, and it wasn't all that great. But you pointed out last year, and it was wise, uh, rookie tight ends usually don't flash right away. So maybe we're going to be rewarded. Uh, maybe the, the quarterbacks won't be good enough to get him the ball. But he looks great so far. There's there's no complaints, really. But to be fair, we haven't seen Dwayne Allen at all, right? No. no, no he's he's no. been on the pup, still on the pup. And without him, you know, part of, part of uh, you know, helping Gasicki to blossom, I think, is to get more 12 personnel in there with two tight ends. And, you know, with Dwayne Allen being functioning as a real Y, and Mike Gasicki a little bit more detached and able to, to have some more free freedom and um and i think that could be good for him if they approach it like that of course the real question is now if they're so fullback oriented with 21 personnel then that eats into the 12 personnel yeah. look that they give i mean there's there's only so many snaps to give yeah. uh so that could that could really if they start to to go with that more that's going to be the enemy to mike gesicki's playing time one of the two deepest positions on the team is obviously receiver um, probably keep five, may keep six. feels like there's a decent competition going on there. And also, Alf, it feels like there is a lot of people playing multiple positions. You know, we've heard Devontae Parker playing slot. We've heard Kenny mm-hmm. Drake playing the slot. Pretty much everybody's played out of almost every position, really. What's your take on the guys that are there? How's Alan Hearns looked? I've heard good things about Trenton Irwin. Uh, you've talked a little bit about Preston Williams, sort of, you know, a couple of days looked all right, a couple of days feels to be slowing down a bit as, you know, everything catches up with him. Where are we on on that? Who's who's making noise? It's been a really good-looking group, although, you know, the, the last couple of days it's been rough on them because, you know, the quarterbacks haven't been all that great. So, you know, everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. One thing I will say that is this. Albert Wilson, they keep saying that he's not limited, but he's not – getting many reps. So mm. I would say 
that he's limited. So I want to see when Albert Wilson is, I guess, 1,000% ready because they keep saying he's 100%, but they're just not using him much in practice. Mm. Once he's ready, I want to see what they're actually going to do as far as their substitution patterns. Because as of right now, you know, if you, if you, if you put a guess right now as who's the, the top three guys, you're going to be right. It's the same three guys that have been here for a while. It's Jakeem Grant, Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker. Those are the guys that are getting the reps. And then Preston Will- Williams, I remarked the other day in the, in the press row that, and a few other people picked up on it, which is that Preston Williams is getting an inordinate amount of reps for what is essentially mm-hmm. an undrafted free agent. So I guess that, what, that's, that kind of says something, doesn't it? Well, one thing, you, you brought this up yourself about, um, about Albert Wilson versus Jakeem Grant and how they're sort of, they might be interchangeable. And I think that, um, I think Carl Dor- Dorrell had some really, had some really interesting things to say when he did his press availability, I thought. And he talked about Jakeem Grant. And first off, his, his terms about Jakeem were very glowing mm. in a significant way because he talked about an observation you made in camp over and over again, which is how much they're using Jakeem Grant and how many different ways and, you know, how often, right? Yeah. And, um, and he said they, they've well, been putting – I mean, the guy's a, played quarterback. Chris. Yeah. So they, they've been putting a ton on his plate, according to Carl Durrell, which was totally jives with what you've been saying. And, you know, he's – and they've been really surprised how well he's doing with all of it. And yeah. they have been since spring. And yeah, what he said – what. What he said about Albert Wilson, though, is he said that Albert is is basically where Jakeem was at the beginning of spring. So that's how far behind Albert Wilson is. So, and if those two are sort of, um, you know, the, if you look at look look at them as like substitutes, then Jakeem, then the reason Albert Wilson might not be getting snaps and might be getting worked in slowly is because of Jakeem Grant. I mean, he might, just because of his availability, he might be, have been allowed to run away with this. And so Albert Wilson could be looking at a dip in use this year um, just, just by virtue of that. And the other thing is Preston Williams. Carl Durrell praised the hell out of Preston Williams. And I thought that, that the terms that he used there were also very significant because he talked about how he's a six-foot-five guy but he's got such great bend that he runs all his routes like he's five foot eight, and that's really unique and really rare. And I thought that was significant because I have heard, you know, sort of this narrative out there. Um, you see it reflected in a couple of different places. I, I know that there was a guy, there was a draft guy that talked about it. Um, you know, some other Dolphins followers and fans have have sort of reflected it back at me, and I'm like, they think that he's stiff as a board and that he's not he's not flexible. I think and it's I, about his look. Because yeah, muscular. I mean, you know I mean? that could be. That could is, be. All you've got to do is watch him on tape, and you know exactly, exactly. I mean, just it's so obvious. Yeah, just watch flexible. the Colorado State. Watch him against I mean, C.J. Henderson of Florida. He beat uh, him exactly. He beat exactly. him with his ability to sink his hips and yeah. and run those underneath the routes for a six foot four and a half inch or whatever guy. He's he's incredible. That he's very well rounded. Carl Durrell was talking about how hard it is to to really bump up in the playbook and uh, and and really get through, digest the volume of everything and how well he's doing that If you think Preston Williams is stiff, you don't know what you're looking at. I think it, that's, it's, yeah, it's to tough say. for me. I mean, I hate, to be, I hate to be really critical of other people's evaluations like that, but it's like, who are you talking about? Yeah, you cannot um, be stiff and put Xavier Howard on the, in the popcorn machine. Like on his ass, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Trust, me, trust me when I tell you, uh, Xavier Howard really, really cares in these practices. He, he plays hard. He doesn't want to be defeated. He wants to show up and show, and show out, especially since now he, he's kind of a named player. He was named to the top 100 players in the NFL on, on the NFL Network's list. So, and it's like, laughable that Tunsil was not. I just have to say that. Incredible. Yeah. And Incredible. so Xavier Howard, you know, he cares about his reputation. So he's going to play these practices pretty tough. Preston Williams made him look like a fool on Saturday. That matters. I think that matters. Mm-hmm. That matters to me. And I think it matters to the coaching staff. And it should matter to Preston Williams. And it should matter to everybody who's watching Preston Williams. Could we they trade get, one of these guys? I was just about to say. The oh. Giants with Sterling Shepard down with, uh, with a million other injuries, none of which I can yeah. now remember. Um, but they've got quite a few injuries. I mean, we've got some players that, you know, you look at someone like even down to a Bryce Butler or a, you know, there's workable talent there, but you could definitely see a Parker, a Stills, a, you know, there's potential there for them to to get rid of a guy and get something back in return. Yeah, and, and you know, I think Alan Hearns might stick. I think that uh, Chris had a really good point. He does something that they probably lack, which is a, a true slot guy. So, yeah, like, can, can we send Parker to, to the Giants and just hand all those snaps to Preston Williams? I'm fine. I would think about it with Parker. He's gotten so many headlines from the, you know, very start of spring ball about how well he's doing and even some of the training camps uh, sessions here that, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a buzz about him. He did have some other teams calling during the offseason. He's got – this is a two-year contract. If this was a one-year contract, I would say keep him. And we do know – we do know that the Dolphins did turn down an offer for Devontae Parker this past season. We don't know what so, it was. Right. So, if, if, if this were a one-year contract, you'd say, no, keep him, let him expire. He'll walk somewhere else and get a big – you know, hopefully if you, if you give him a bunch of yards and catches this year, he'll go somewhere and get a big contract. And then you get a compensatory pick for him, right? So Fair if that were but that, this that is a two-year contract, so I'd trade him. Yeah. Fair to say that he's been arguably top three or four performers in camp so far, Alf, from what you've seen, Devontae? Yeah, easily. Uh, I think he's been the best receiver. Although I'm partial to Jakeem Grant, but if we care about production, Devontae Parker's getting the yards and the touchdowns and the, the splash plays, while Jakeem mm-hmm. Grant is just really, really steady every single practice. So – I think he's been the best receiver. And Sell high. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, exactly. Right, you fancy Dan's. Enough of the offense. Uh, we are going to flip to defense. But first of all, have a listen to this. Josh Darrow here, host of the Five Rings podcast, where it's always a Canes thing on the Five Reasons Sports Network. What are we about? Pretty easy. I want to tell stories, and I want to share the journey for the players and coaches, past and present, affiliated with the University of Miami. Take Manny Diaz. He grew up in Miami. He grew up going to the Orange Bowl. It was, you know, it was all those 1980s teams. You know, that that's where it all started for me. And just just the style of play and and really it was it really took hold when Jimmy Johnson was here. And, you know, sitting there in the Orange Bowl in '86 when we're whipping Oklahoma and just you know what I mean, just just speed and then violence. You know what I mean? It, 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 you know, we're not only you know, you know, Nebraska was a changing of college football. It's those kind of memories we want to share with you. Listen, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate the support. The Five Rings Podcast, where it's always a Canes thing, and we're always a part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. 
Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is OJ McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. OJ, tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch is, <laughs> is chasing me because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah. Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. Welcome back to Three Hours with Carrie. Simon Clancy here with Alfredo Artiaga, uh, camp guru, Chris Kaufman, our uh, guru. Um, that sounded fucking cheesy. Sorry. What the fuck was that? No, no. Anyway, let's just crash on this. I appreciate the guru remark, though. Let's ignore the last 10 seconds. Anyway, Alf, like we've been saying, you have been uh, been at camp. We have maligned, our much maligned offensive line. The defensive line, especially the perimeter guys. And, and And I've been hearing there's no real kind of defensive line, linebackers and and defensive backs it's almost like section one section two and section yeah. three and guys lining up all over the place it looks very unusual I know we can't talk it's too confusing. much about but the ends and it feels like uh, Jonathan Woodard and, and Charles Harris are starting with Tank Carradine and uh, the guy they picked up that you mentioned earlier on whose name completely escapes me because it's one o'clock in the morning um, as, the, as the rotation backup guys what's uh, are we seeing anything from Charles Harris? I know he's going up against Laramie Tunsil, one of the top six or seven left tackles in the NFL, but how is he performing? Is he giving Tunsil any sort of difficulties or is it, you know, men against boys stuff? Well, he had a really nice move on, on Tunsil. He swam inside of him and blew up a play on Saturday for, for no gain at the, at the goal line. He's been good against the run. Uh, I haven't seen him much in on the quarterback, but like like you said, he's been mostly going up against – Laramie Tunsil. What uh, about the point of attack work? Because that really was a weakness for him in terms of taking mm. on blockers and setting the edge. But, you know, notably in this New England defense, that is a key uh, component and, of what you were supposed to do. Not get too far upfield, yeah. set the edge, work people back inside, mm. discipline. How, how are those things looking for him? He tends to, to wash out a bit, Charles Harris. Uh, he tends to look a little lighter against some of these guys. So it's like if, if you want heavy hands, you want a guy who can stack and shed, I don't think he's your guy. He's going to try to finesse his way around blocks. And I think that that's what you're going to have to expect from him. Uh, the guys who's look, who look a lot better at, in that regard is Tank Carradine, Jonathan Ledbetter also. And well, they I would. They're like, they're like 30 pounds heavier or something. Yeah, and right Adolphus now. Washington also really sudden and strong. You could tell like these guys, you know – if they're brought in to, to do one or two things, they're going to be pretty competent at that one or two things. Uh, I think guys that are probably playing their way out, I think Nate Orchard, I don't think, is going to make the team. Uh, really? Okay. I mean, because he was, he was the hot name off of uh, at spring. He, he could have been the hot name in spring. Now he's just getting beat up and uh, not doing ouch. much of anything else. And they just released J. Ron Elliott because, uh, because Nate Orchard was doing well. Yeah, well, he's... what about the um, what about the interior guys and how's Christian Wilkins looking? Because everybody kind of 
he was an incredibly likable personality. He was a great player at Clemson. We all loved him. But how's he been? How's he looked? How's he, you know, a guy's rallying around him? Or has he got that sort of rookie thing where he's sort of slightly keeping back a little bit? Or is his personality sort of flowing out? I think it's been encouraging with Kristen Wilkins because after that first day, the first day, they, you know, they weren't in pads or anything. But that first day, you could tell that he was dragging ass. Like, it was getting to him. To the point where I asked a few guys, you know, if, you know, where he was practicing in Clemson, at what times would they practice in Clemson? Because I, I've seen that some SEC teams are, have taken to practicing around 530 in the morning to try to avoid the heat of mm. the South. So I was wondering maybe maybe Clemson had a bubble or maybe they were practicing early in the morning because he he looked like completely out of shape. But he picked it up and he's looked good so far. He's not he hasn't had many flash plays. Those flash plays have belonged to Vincent Taylor and Devon Godshaw and King Spence, who had a pretty good practice on Sunday. One of the few guys who did. So yeah, he's looked better and you know he looks as advertised. Big, strong, quick, you know, noticeable. He he stands out in that group. Have you seen him play handle any? Yeah, some. Yeah, especially in in some of their like what what you would call like like a thirty three shell look. So mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, he's he's played some end there, mostly on the left side, and I think I could reveal that now because I've seen that some other beat writers have revealed alignments. Mm. So let's move let's move down uh, into the middle portion of this this Flores defense and specifically a guy who might be the biggest story in camp so far uh, and ironically another guy who's come over from the CFL a linebacker much like Cameron Wake did many years ago obviously he doesn't play the same position but how is Sam Egwavon Egwavon how would you say it uh, Egwavon. Iguavan. Iguavan, okay. Who has essentially been, because base is, Nicola's at base, uh, and it looks like him and Jerome Baker have pretty much been starting for the first four days or however many it's been yeah, there. He's the defense's uh, Preston Williams. Uh, he's the okay. getting those, he's getting like a weird number of snaps, you know, you know what I mean? So Talk to us about what you've seen, and then Chris and I are sort of filling some background on what we know about him and, and some of the intriguing stuff that you know, you had it both in Texas Tech, obviously where he played with Chicken Grime, uh, and then in the CFL. Well, let me say this. I don't know what he's listed at. Maybe you have it in front of you because I don't. I don't know what he's listed at as far as size. He's big. <laughs> this is a big guy. Uh, and he looks the part. You know, he plays He plays physical, and he can move. He's like he, – He's can six breathe. foot 236, according to the official website. Yeah, he's well, a quarter a, inch above six. Well, yeah. that's, that's, that's a really big – but he's got he's got thirty three inch arms though, so pretty long. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he looks the part. He's sudden, really good with his hands, and good in pass coverage. So mm. yeah, he's he's been a. I would say he's he's one of those camp stars. So it's big CFL fields as well, isn't it? That you know, there's mm-hmm. more area to cover. You know, yeah, which is what he which is what he was good at in in Canada. Yeah, uh, actually, in, in some of that Canon uh, CFL tape, that's exactly like you want to because in, in Miami you expect him to be a little bit more on the line, and he's talked about that and the challenge of being on the line of scrimmage and using your hands right away and all that. But in in the CFL, it's there's no make no mistake. This was a coverage linebacker. Um, that's what he was. That's what he excelled at. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it, it's really interesting to me that he's that he's bumped up. And let me say, this is a really good-looking group so far, at least so far. Uh, Trey Watson, 
he he likes to hit people. Trey mm-hmm. Watson almost disintegrated Kenneth Farrell on Saturday. It was as violent a collision as I can remember in a in in a camp. That, that's Terrell an Hanks is, um, yeah, Terrell Hanks is a a, a kid who I, I know people are high on as well. I spoke to a couple of people. Yeah, um, the, the only they, guy they feel like that. Hanks is. Yeah, the only guy that has gotten a lot of snaps and has not really shown much is Tyrone Holmes. Uh, he hasn't been very okay. good. Really? Can I make – On special teams as of late. Like, they're, yeah. I, I, like, he's a guy that has to be watching his back. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Andrew Van Ginkle, like I remarked on Twitter on Sunday, good at football. Really, really violent. Looks also looks like player. a serial killer. Yeah, serial killer. and he plays his part really, really good as, as far – he's mostly on the weak side. And a lot of base sets, so he's not getting the run that you would want out of the nickel sets, which is what we're mostly going to be playing. Can I give you a hot take on this defense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it feels like this is about to become Jerome Baker's unit. Hmm. I would say is that, so. is that a fair hot take? Yes, and I'll give you another hot take. Remember what everybody was saying about Jerome Baker, pass rusher. That's, that's a real thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chris, what would you we'll, think about we'll <laughs> I would say about, about that hot take. That hot take. I think the coaches agree with you. I, I, I wonder if the I wonder if the game tape is going to agree with you when uh, when the real hitting starts and when the live action starts. That's my question because unless they unless they plan on restructuring their personnel packaging and position profiles uh, to sort of I guess roll back roll back the clock toward uh, 2012-ish and the Gerard Mayo years where Gerard Mayo was playing, you know, 90 some odd percent. He was, he was always in the box and he was never pass, rushing the passer and he was very good in coverage and um, for that New England defense. And they structured the defense around in such a way that that worked. Um, the current playbook that we've seen in New England with the Mack and Buck positions, with the two linebacker positions, and the, the responsibilities that they commonly have, especially in nickel, especially in, um, in dime, uh, there's, too much, there's too much there on the line of scrimmage and as a, a, a pass rusher. And I have too many doubts about a Jerome Baker being, you know, just over six foot, 220 some odd pounds when, when the season gets started and he's losing some weight. Um, I have too many questions about that. Uh, about the physicality and his ability to stack on the line and and do that for for a full season, but if they if they do restructure some of the play the personnel packaging and the um, the position definitions and responsibilities, then it's open season. You could see him be another Gerard Mayo type, and and I'd be really excited to see that. But um, but call me skeptical right now until until we see it in live full speed stuff. What about? I, I, go back, I go back to what, what I said in a previous podcast when this new coaching staff came in. He looks like Roosevelt Colvin to me. And yeah. I know that they're different body types, but Roosevelt Colvin was a really good, you know, really good productive player for the New England Patriots. I don't know how many Super Bowls True. he has. Maybe two, I think. True. So if he's Roosevelt Colvin, I'm fine with it. Yeah, Rosie was taller, though, wasn't he? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he was. He might have been. I don't know how much bigger he was. What, what about the future of Kiko Alonso? Well, because so he's a name that we've not heard Mike. much of. Yeah, so far he's second team Mike. Uh, we were told that, that that don't look too much into like who's getting snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
he also said some things that, you know, were, were kind of interesting where, you know, he likes the defense and he knows exactly what he's doing now mm. in this, uh, on this team. So I don't know what that means. But so far, he's the second team Mike. Uh, he plays. He does show up in, in what is, you know, regular base personnel. He does show up. But really, it's been Jerome Baker, Sam Eggibon. Those are the, the top two guys. Those are the guys that are getting mm. the most snaps. Brian Flores, I was just going to bring up Brian Flores. I mean, because this is important. Brian Flores made the point that they're they're engaging in some mind games. They're they're starting some people ahead of other people. I mean, or they're they're bumping some guys down a second string, even though they're better and they've they've probably earned the first string snaps simply because they think that as a motivational tactic that'll that'll work for them. And he said he was very secretive about it. Only a few of us know which players those are. So doesn't that sort of muddy the water as far as trying to um, take things from who's who started? Like Sam Aguavon. Is Sam Aguavon starting because because Sam Aguavon really is going to start and play this year? Mm-hmm. Or is it because they think that Raekwon McMillan and or Kiko Alonso will, will take a little something extra from the fact that they're on second string? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a really, really good point. And, and let me say that anybody who's going to try to call this defense as far as, especially from the sidelines, you know, you're going to have a hard time. It's confusing. It really is confusing out there. Yeah. That's good. They're, they're, they're doing some tricky stuff. Yeah. They're as tricky. long as we're not the ones confused. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I suppose the one point on that, Chris, though, is that how, how, I mean, Kiko Alonso is in what his fifth year. Mm-hmm. When was he drafted? 2013, oh, God, was it? Yeah, eight years. Yeah, eight How, years. Yeah. I mean, as an eight-year pro, do you need that kind of motivation anymore? I mean, I mean, he's in ridiculous physical shape, as we saw right. when he stuck it in WhatsApp the other day. I mean, I just wonder about an eight-year veteran who's played hard all his career, has had to fight through a, you know, serious injury to get back to where he is. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that needs the motivation that would come with a benching that's sending a message. Do you, do you get my point? Yeah, I get your point. I, and I saw, I, I agree. Um, it's, but it's not for, it's not for me to decide. I don't, no, I don't, for sure. I haven't, I haven't coached him. And I, so I don't know what he's going to respond to. What I will say is that like, he, there was a while he wasn't really even participating in these practices. And I think that, you know, he might be shredded and in good physical shape, but, Listen, I mean, I, without going and into he is shredded, yeah. Yes. Without going into details, he's had some significant injuries in the past, yeah. um, and you can look those up and and see. And I think that he's he's being, I think he's being babied a little bit, um, to be honest, because you know, the muscle the muscles may be shredded, but the joints might not, or maybe they are, <laughs> um, in a different way. I don't know, but um, so so he has to he has to be careful, and they have to be careful with him. And so it could be motivation, could be they're just not putting a ton on his plate because, because of his, uh, his body, his joints, uh, things like that. It's really who knows. It's uh, anybody's guessing game. And then finally the secondary, because this to me is, the, along with the wide receivers, the, the best group, and I suppose the linebackers as well, the best group on the team. And I, I'm fascinated by this battle between sort of Cornell Armstrong, Jalen Davis, Hartage, Chris Lamons, Mattia, Nick Needham, Tyler Patman, David Rivers, Jamal Wiltz, those kind of, you know, because there's probably two spots, maybe more, open for, for guys who are going to back up 
you know, the, the, the starting corners, who, who's poking their head out, you know, who, who's making a, making a stand or is it too early to tell? Is it, you know, because it, the, um, these practices tend to be stacked against cornerbacks in terms of, you know, how, how does it how does it look to you? And, and also, then we'll get onto the Eric Rowe question about how he looks. Yeah, it's been the, the sort of disappointment that he had through the through the spring. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty consistent, and and it's also a fact. Xavier Howard and Eric Rowe have taken every single snap at the boundary corners. Mm, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, and nice. Eric Rowe had a horrific debut uh, day one in camp mm-hmm. he was just handing out touchdowns like if <laughs> like, like if it was his job but he's turned it on since and he was actually one of my stars of saturday mm. uh he had a great practice on saturday had an interception had three passes defensed and he was going up against Devontae parker he was going up against preston williams that was the first day of pads and yes mm. and he didn't give up anything against those guys so I would say that was pretty good. That's why I made him my, my practice MVP on Saturday. And mm-hmm. he followed up Sunday with a really good practice again because, to be honest with you, nobody was really any good on offense on Sunday. <laughs> so it was, hard to, uh, it was hard to find a goat. You know, Well, not a goat, but it's hard to find. Yeah, lots of uh, goats. Yeah, it was hard to find somebody to blame on the defense on Sunday because the offense was so incompetent. Mm-hmm. So Eric Rowe, yeah, he's looked good. Jalen Davis, kind of non-existent. Jamal Wiltz has has been beat up pretty good, and mm-hmm. this is a guy that that looked really good in the spring. And if you watch him, he has that look. You know, he has that uh that twitchy. He plays that twitchy, quick, really good athletic look. He's he plays really low, which I like, especially for a guy who plays mostly in the slot. But he's he's in a tussle right now uh, against Montre Hardage, and you know Cordero Tankersley is still on the pup. So I'll, it, it'll be interesting to see when he gets back on the field. Here's my prediction: next week, you know, this week we're doing sort of a feature piece on, or a little bit of a feature on Sam Aguavon, like really explaining what he is. And next week we're going to end up explaining a bit more about Montre Hardage. Yeah, I, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. How's that boy? Um. How's that boy getting on, uh, Cornell Armstrong? He's looked okay. Uh, he's, uh, I, I think he's fighting for snaps right now, and he's fighting for snaps pretty much everywhere uh, in the slot, the boundary. Uh, he's he's right now firmly on the right side, second team boundary corner. So, and it's him and Tory McTire. That's the second team corners. So, yeah, he's struggling to to get you know, the snaps with the first team while other guys are getting snaps with the first team, namely Jamal Wiltz and, and, and a few snaps to Jalen Davis, but mostly Jamal Wiltz is the guy who snuck into first team. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've seen a little bit of Tyler Patman, but not too much. He's in that group. Cornell Armstrong is in that group along with David Rivers, you know, guys that are struggling to get reps. There's just so many in camp and they're, they're mandated by the NFLPA. So there's a finite number. You can't go on forever. You know, you can't have a three-hour practice and get everybody the same amount of snaps. So he's fighting for his right now. It's interesting, though, Simon, that this is the group that you're seeing sort of more of the um, a mess behind those top two uh, guys, Eric Rowe and Xavier Howard, and obviously Minka, who's playing star now. Um, you're seeing more of a mess, like a morass of players, 
considering just before this is the position that they did surgery on just before the eve of training camp that mm-hmm. they they added two two new players to and jamal jamal wilts for as much as he starred in the spring ball you know his his uh star might have fallen a little bit and and maybe it's maybe that comes as less of a surprise to the coaching staff maybe that's why they're making these moves and so they're they're really still trying to find struggling to find answers there yeah before we get out of there i have a quick question anything happening you know i know we're all massive fans of the specialists but the matt hawk stone wilson competition in the punt game, anything in the John Denny versus Wesley Farnsworth long slapping, slapping, long slapping. Now there's a sport. <laughs> long snapping. Let's start uh, that one. Anything happening there? Yeah, actually, something very, very, very interesting is going on here. Okay. Wow. Uh, on Sunday, I watched something I had never ever seen before, and I've been watching NFL practices since the Don Shula days. Okay. I've seen him through all these coaches, so it would it would, you know, reason that one of these guys would have popped out this, but it took this coaching staff to show this, and that was Matt Hawk going through a full pass workout, taking snaps from the long snapper and throwing routes, and he did it for about wow. fifteen minutes. So it was something I've never seen before. So I don't know how many punts they're gonna they're they're gonna fake this year, but. If they are, they definitely they definitely worked out Matt Hawk to be able to do it. He's the best punter on the team, by the way. He's going to make the team. And Jason Sanders has no competition. They didn't even bother to bring anybody in with him. Mm. And as far as the long snappers, I can't judge long snappers. All I know is that John Denny <laughs> has been really, really good for many, many years. And Wes Farnsworth, you know, he looks good to me. You know, long snappers tend to be pretty good. They're specialists. So, who knows? Maybe they do make – a monetary decision there try to decide to save a couple of bucks but yeah i would say same specialist should be back but i did find that very very interesting i don't know if you guys ever heard of something like that before but it's it was a first for me i'd never seen it before ever let's hope he throws it back a couple of touchdowns i mean christ knows if the quarterback situation gets bad he might be starting so Who knows? Who knows? Maybe, Who knows? Maybe, maybe that wasn't really something new, and they were actually thinking, you know what? We need more competition at the quarterback position. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I would go with that. I, I don't yeah. want to forget the safety position, Alf, because you've you've talked a little bit about TJ McDonald and and what you like about him, and and I know some of our listeners are are going to be wondering things about Bobby McCain at free safety, and it's sort of a hot button. Um, you know what what have what have you seen there? Well, T.J. McDonald, I think, is going to be helped by this system. He's being asked to do very, very basic things. And I told you the other day, uh, T.J. McDonald, uh, at the end of the day, I think he's a good NFL player on a friendly contract. And I think that's how they might look at him, especially after this season, which could be his best here just because of the system. And namely because Rashad Jones, we all agree, is probably on the way out. Uh, I think we all agree that this is Rashad Jones' last season for the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. So, stands to reason, you know, you're not going to shit-can everybody. So, who can stick? How about a guy who could have a very, very good year in a friendly system on a good contract, TJ McDonald. Now, Bobby McCain at free safety. That one is interesting. He's absolutely playing free safety. Uh, single high looks, guess who's back there? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. Bobby McCain. So, mm-hmm. it, the, the secret is out. That's the position he's playing. He already did an interview where he said, yeah, I'm a safety now. 
So, okay, I guess you're safety, Bobby McCain. Uh, this These quarterbacks, this offensive line, haven't really tested the defense deep in 11 v. 11. So, you know, it's hard to judge, really. So, I guess we're going to have to wait for preseason games and and watch other quarterbacks try to test them deep and see how he reacts, see how he performs. I have my doubts. I know you do too, Chris. Mm. Well, I just, I just, you know, you put a five foot nine inch guy back there who isn't the fastest guy. We know that. And who isn't, you know, the biggest guy, this is all, this is all a margin for error thing. I mean, if you're, if you're not tall, uh, that reduces your margin for error. If you're not fast, that reduces your margin for error. And it's one thing if you're an extremely experienced guy and you have a wealth of experience to draw on when you've got a lot of field in front of you and you need to not take false steps and make the right reads and, and take the right angles, um, you have a wealth of experience to draw on, then you might be able to do it consistently as you need to, as consistently and perfectly as you need to, even though your margin for error is very low. Um, but he doesn't have that either because he's been a slot corner his entire career. Mm-hmm. And so this is a fresh move. So I have doubts. Uh, if he does do it very well, then, you know, kudos to him. That's, that's a credit to him as a football player. That's, that would be an incredible thing for him to do. I think they're asking a lot. The coaches are asking a lot out of him. And, um, and so it, it's, it's tough. At some point, tight end, if you're a safety, tight ends are going to find you. And already we saw we saw a clip of Mike Gesicki mossing him basically in in one of the practices. Um, and if you're a free safety, if you're a deep center, then at some point you're going to have guys breaking out into the opening, and, and you need you need to be the guy that gets them down. You with your five foot nine inch frame and you know um, spotty tackling last year anyway uh, need to get him down, and you need to be able to take the right angles. And even though you don't have the best speed to do it. Uh, it's gonna he's gonna be a last line of defense so we'll we'll see uh, it's a good way to get if he's shaky if he's really shaky mm. we'll we'll probably find out quickly and um and they might put the genie back in the bottle and and take him off duty um because it's a good way to play good defense for like 65 plays uh out of 70 and then still give up 30 points you know, uh, let me ask you guys this, right you know right before we we get out of here for the week are you guys surprised that Minka Fitzpatrick's just doing one thing? And this is the this is our Swiss Army knife. At least we thought he was our mm-hmm. Swiss Army knife. And he's just doing one thing. He's lined up in the slot. He's guarding slot receivers. That's it. Best position for him. Mm-hmm. But are you not, I mean, surprised? I'm not really, surprised? I mean, I, I'd assume that he's... Well, no, I'm not really, actually. I'm not really. It's his best position by a mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, no. I think- that's what made him famous at Bama. So, you, yeah. you know, he's still a young player and he hasn't ascended to a really, you know. That tells you something op- about this coaching staff, right? Uh, they identified, all right, this is what he's best at. That's what you're playing. Yeah. But also they've identified that we're going to play nickel out of base and he's going to be on the field all the time anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. let's mm-hmm. just play him in the position that's best he's best suited to be in. Because otherwise, if you put him on, if you put him at, let, let's be completely honest, if you put him at corner, is he, marginably, negligibly, massively better than Eric Rowe? No, I don't think so. No. So, therefore, if you play him at corner, then you're relegating Eric Rowe to the bench. So that's one mm-hmm. decent player that's not on the field, and then that he'll opens up you, a slot. I think, I think he'll give you better tackling than Eric Rowe. Uh, I think he'll give you that. 
yeah could be that's pretty much it but but it doesn't they're only gonna so we're we're only gonna have this decision where it's like oh my god make us on the bench you know at most something like 15 percent of the snaps i mean that's yeah that's the style of defense they play it's not like the past defense where you've seen base out on the field 35% of the snaps, something like that. That's not what they do. So, you know, 15% of the snaps, yeah, he might be on the bench. And some people are going to complain about that. And maybe eventually in his career, he will be out there the full thousand. Um, but right now, I don't think it'll make that big of a difference if he, is, if he isn't out on the field for those marginal little 15%. Right. That's it. We're done. Let's get the hell out of Dodge. Alf will be back at camp every day between now and the end of 2042. Um, oh, but I'll um, I'll be at the uh, the the inter squad or the um, the joint practices. The Miami. Chris, Dolphins. that'll be interesting. Chris will be on the three YPC account that yeah. those those days, and he'll be manning the account, and he'll be Dolphins, doing the notes for those days. Dolphins bucks. Dolphins bucks, baby. Dolphins yeah. bucks all over it. Um, yeah, we should be back next. Look for my notes on 5 Remember that. Yeah. We shall be back next week uh, with more stuff from training camp as uh, we get very close to actual real live football. I mean, there's a live football game in what? When's the Hall of Fame game? Three days time or five days time or something? It's yeah. close anyway. So we are very close to, to live action. Uh, I will be in Philadelphia next week, so I may or may not be on the podcast. I will definitely be at Philadelphia, Tennessee, the preseason game. Uh, so I won't be able to give you any. I'll be able to talk to you about Ryan Tannehill and how he's getting on, <laughs> uh, which will be beautiful. We should be back next week. Don't forget, Five Reasons Sports for Alf's Notes, the, in the uh, Twitter account uh, for all our daily updates and general badinage. And we shall see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to 3 Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.